Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hey, Mike. Oh boy. <laughs> should Isn't we? This special. It is special. Should we do like a whole explainer thing, or should we just assume everybody knows who you are and just go for it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what what did we person who has always been the host, and I will never admit it's ever been anyone else? What did, what did, what did we play this, for this episode? We played Secret of. I always grew up saying mana. Oh, are you like a mana? Are you you're you're not a mana? You're a mana. I'm a mana. I mean, I don't care anymore. But <laughs> no, it's just what I said. Th- this is like Democrat or Republican, like Christian or atheist. Like you have to choose a side. <laughs> And hate everyone on the other side. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm. I was a mana guy. I'm still a mana guy, but I'm. I'm a secret of mana. Is there or is it a gift gif? Like, is there a right answer? That's what I mean. Not is it ambiguous? Is there a right <laughs> answer. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's uh, it's the way I say it. That's the okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> so we uh, we picked this. For two reasons. One, uh, I, I like playing old RPGs, uh, and you're you're an old RPG guy. Um, you are an old hyphen RPG space guy. Yeah, I'm I'm almost an NPC now. <laughs> uh, um, and also, they just released a like a remake, a re yeah, a remaster, a, mm. a little poly like digital release thing. Yeah, which was met with really mixed reviews yeah and so we decided uh let's not play that one let's play the old one yeah and i was already you know i know we'll get into our nostalgia goggles on this but uh i was prepared to really hate this and to enjoy hating it and (laughs) well i'm not going to spoil the result but we'll see but maybe something (laughs) different than that happened so uh you 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 bring us to a good point which is uh what what are your childhood memories of this so this game was always I, I didn't own this game so it was always a two or three day like weekend get a f- several hours into it and then return the game kind of thing um never beat the game when i grew up but i did like it a lot and i was also an avid player i had a game boy and the game i did own was final fantasy adventure which is technically the first game in the seiken densetsu series which is like the from the sword of destiny or something. Yeah, from the the terrible time in history when Nintendo of America was like dumb Americans can't understand <laughs> words and numbers, so we have to rebrand everything. And I don't think I ever connected those two until later in game magazines when they told you that they were part of the same series. I was probably just like, "Hey, SquareSoft made Zelda clones and they're kind of fun." So that's kind of <laughs> That's where I was coming from. And Final Fantasy Adventure is like a serious, like top-down Zelda f- screen scroll. Like you go to the edge of the screen and it scrolls to the next square, like clone. And then the Secret of Mana was uh, <laughs> <laughs> was one of Square's earlier. I don't know if it was earlier. I guess it came out in like '93, so it's technically middle of the Super NES kind of era. But 
after Final Fantasy IV, but before their best games. <laughs> and so it's kind of bridging the, the gap between the old stuff and, you know, as we get into it, like you can feel they're stretching their 16-bit legs a bit and haven't quite worked everything out yet. Yeah, th- this definitely feels like... Uh... B- baby's first Super Nintendo <laughs> RPG, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll dig in on that. So but, for me, uh, this game, uh, this was definitely a Brian game. Like, I, I know I've talked about uh, my friend Brian, and this is one of those games, along with Mario Paint, that we would exchange in like a folded up paper bag, which at the time I didn't think was weird, but when I remember back on it, I'm like, man, I must've really looked like my dad was delivering me drugs all the time. (laughs) Like he would just come into my room with like an unmarked paper sack. And I would be like, yes, yes, yes. You saw Brian today. You had agreed upon neutral drops in the middle of town. that One of you would go pick it up later. Yeah. I would leave a manila envelope and take the the brown paper bat. Yeah. It was, it was onlookers would have been very suspicious. Um, but I had, uh, a similar experience to what you described where you were like, yeah, I know I never beat this, you know, cause it was always a rental, I had a weird memory of this where I was like, you know, I don't actually remember ever beating this game as a kid, but I know I had it long enough to beat it because I was borrowing it from Brian. So here's what I'll do. I will take specific mental note while I'm playing of the furthest I ever got and compare that to the total length of the game and sort of, you know, look at that through the lens of like my 10 year old self. And that moment never came because <laughs> I realized I did beat this game. It's just way more linear and short than I thought, like, in retrospect. So it was kind of like I was expecting a two-hour movie, and when I got to, like, the 70-minute mark and it ended, I was like, oh. Not to derail us, but that happened to me with the Netflix Castlevania cartoon it was just really good it's really good is when i got into it and i was in like i think there's only four episodes to it uh yeah it's like four it's it's very short it's it's i didn't know that and i was just like you know (laughs) clicking next and i was like all right there's gonna be like 10 or 12 of these and then it was just like oh that's it oh we're we're done yeah i had a they that show hit netflix very soon after uh ios got the ability to do offline netflix videos and like literally the next day I had like a three and a half hour flight. I was like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I just downloaded the whole show and then kind of had the same experience. I was like, oh, now I'm done with season one. Oh, that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did not feel that way about Secret of Man. It was not <laughs> over too soon for me on this playthrough, um, even though I couldn't get through it as a kid either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to think any other uh I guess this was also connected to that early like experimentation with multiplayer like more than two player multiplayer. So you could buy a multi tap for the Super NES and I didn't have one and no one I knew <laughs> had one. So it was always this like out of reach, like, oh man, what would three player Secret of Mana be like? The the only people I knew who had multi taps were people who played like Tecmo Super Bowl or Madden, yeah, or like maybe and well, maybe NBA Jam. People who played sports games where it was like, oh, we're all gonna we're gonna plug this little octopus arm into the Super Nintendo, and then you bring over your controllers, and I have my controllers, and then 
you and your brother and me and my brother and we're all gonna and i didn't play games like that so <laughs> yeah. like i probably knew people who had multi-taps but they were like it was like so close but so far like you just almost wanted to be like hey john can i borrow your multi-tap to use it for like a good game <laughs> and it was an era where like people didn't really buy those peripherals at all hardly and It'd be like Nintendo would release their single first-party game that supported it, and then like one other company would like kind of casually hack it into their game, <laughs> which I think is sort of the case here. I think they shoehorned it in like a month or two before the end of development. Yeah, it definitely... That whole era really... I'm, I'm thinking there was like processing power issues where they were like... Yeah, I mean, we could keep sending controller inputs to the processor, but <laughs> eventually it's going to start to choke to death on them. So we need to uh, start ripping this apart, you know, in, in its its proper sections. Uh, and, and we have to start, as you know, since you've always been the only other co-host on the show uh, with, <laughs> yes. with the visuals. Uh, I'd say, you know, just thinking about the visuals for this era before we get into how they affect gameplay is... I'd say the graphics are pretty decent for Super Nintendo era. I've definitely seen a lot of uglier games, even in the 16-bit era. And um, while I know Square went on to completely outdo themselves several times over with some of their other games on the Super Nintendo, it ain't bad. Like, it's very colorful, very... The character designs are really, like, attractive. I like the way they look, and uh, they pop off the screen really well. And they're very different from each other. The three main characters. They, I, I was never looking at your main guy, which they don't. So another question <laughs> I had for you with this game was: uh, in normally in RPGs, are you a uh, keep the default names, or are you a uh, name them Frank and Barb and <laughs> so, <laughs> weirdly normal? <laughs> so I'm a I'm a keep the default names typically on like a first or second playthrough. And then as a kid, I could definitely tell you like who my best friend was or what girl I was like <laughs> dating based on like the names of different characters in old RPG <laughs> saves. Um, but I, I think I know what you're getting at with this, but go on. Do you face a deep existential crisis when a game does not offer you a default name? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly the stunt they pull where they're just like, hey, main character, and then it, like, dumps you on the naming screen, and then, like, when the girl saves you, it, like, dumps you on the naming screen, and the, uh, I, I kind of was, like, aware that that was happening, but I was like, oh, maybe in, like, the instruction manual or the, the strategy guide, they had official names, but yeah. they don't, and when, because a couple times I got lost, and I, I just forgot what I was doing, and I had to look it up on Game Facts, and it literally just says, like, boy girl sprite yeah. so it's like make a boy do this have girl do this and use sprites magic for whatever and i was just like oh man they like these are really empty vessels that we are supposed to <laughs> yeah. pour ourselves like, into and before someone would want to point out zelda because it gives you a blank name but like link still has a name even if they don't pre-fill autofill it for you and you know yeah. in castlevania it's the same thing it is simon or trevor or whoever but <laughs> this game's just like boy yes boy boy girl sprite um they do uh as you're saying though not make them the slightest bit confusing visually or stylistically like in the because the the girl and the sprite even get different magic the boy gets no magic so like 
if you yeah. were if you're looking at them just visually or just mechanically um or even like kind of the way they interact with the world like they all are as different as can be so i can i don't like the naming thing i don't like that they have no yeah. identity and they're just you know empty masks <laughs> but okay especially with some of the other story reveals as to like your dad is the spirit behind the sword yeah, and, and it's like and your mom is the tree. <laughs> yeah. But you're just a nameless <laughs> nothing. Um but back to, I guess back to graphics a little bit as kind of a little aside. I'm sure this will be full of that because of the way this game is. Um and, you know, I I'd overall rank this somewhere slightly above average Super Nintendo graphics. Um My problem I, I agree with you in in principle. My problem is the like once things are moving and once you've started to interact with a lot of parts of the world, the visuals start to fall apart in really annoying ways. Like uh, everything looks pretty good when you're just kind of like standing still or you're like mm-hmm. in a town or you're out in the woods or whatever. But then you uh, go through like an exit to the side of the screen and the girl and the sprite just walk as the crow flies <laughs> yeah. through rocks and water and trees to to immediately follow you and like that it's not a reduction in graphics quality but it it it's very jarring for everything yeah. to be like oh okay this is like the world oh they're just magically floating <laughs> through the rocks now well okay. especially when their pathfinding is a major gameplay <laughs> Uh, major aspect of the gameplay, let's just say before we get to mechanics, that <laughs> to see, like, to, after you struggle through a whole screen trying to get them to stop trapping themselves, you're, <laughs> you get to the edge and they just, like, waltz straight there. <laughs> yeah, it, I almost wish... But would and, you rather it be they stayed stuck until you completely rescued them? No, Christ, know. no. But <laughs> I, I almost wish there was, like, an amount of time that they could be trying to catch up to you and then they would just, like, magically... You know what game had that? <laughs> Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy. <laughs> well, okay. So we regressed a little. They, you know what it is? They added those 12 bits and they got sloppy. They're like, we have four bits well, on the Game Boy. We have to be really clever. And then when they had all those extra bits, they were like, our pathfinding will be so good. And it wasn't. And that, that game also takes the Last of Us approach of your partner's invincible, so you just don't worry about them at all. Mm. Uh, no, uh, Ellie could totally <laughs> eat it in Last of Us. You're thinking of Bioshock Infinite. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, in Bioshock Infinite, they they so want you to not give a crap about uh, Oh, in Last of Us, they're invisible for stealth reasons, but they're not yes. invincible. Yes, okay. but she can totally get her lunch at... But yeah, in, in Bioshock Infinite, it literally puts text on the screen that's like, Elizabeth can take care of herself. Maybe don't worry about her, which yeah. I really appreciated when I was playing that game because I was like, oh no, fetch quest the game or uh, escort mission the game. But they, they disavow you of that notion. Uh, Secret of Mana does not do that. Every rock and every tree, beautifully rendered as they are, is an <laughs> opportunity for them to get trapped forever. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can s- press select to switch characters, but if so, you switch to trapped character and you're now the two computer partners race as fast <laughs> as possible towards the trap. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, you're like, press and select, move. Okay, sw- switch back. Like, you're, there's like these rapid s- like 
safety routines. <laughs> yeah, it's there's a lot of um like select just long enough to get out from behind the rock and then quickly select back to whoever like i i don't i don't know i don't want to just presume because you're a straight white guy that you typically had player one as the boy but did you yes okay so i don't feel too bad assuming that we're really muddling up mechanics here but who cares it's our show that you've always been on for all these episodes um the reason I played that way, because I was kind of aware of it on this playthrough. I didn't really think about it when I was eight, but like, or 12 or whatever. But like, I, I kind of realized, I was like, oh, I wonder why, because the sprite is also a boy. I was like, I wonder why I just picked like the boy. I was like, well, for mm -hmm. one thing, you start as him. So like, you're alone. And for another thing, the second the girl and the sprite get magic, they become like non-combatants. Yeah. And you need more fine-grained control over the combatants, so whoever's, like, swinging a sword or poking with a spear. So that's that's a thing that I was like, oh, I'm controlling the character that benefits most from my direct control, because everyone else, all I do is hit, like, X, cast spell, X, cast spell, X, cast spell. Yeah. Okay, you're out of magic. Now I don't care about you. <laughs> and I'll admit I didn't actually check, but it felt like the boy got better armor and... That made me want to be like he's the front line, and I will. We'll, we'll get to mechanics on programming the AI <laughs> stuff, but I, I do have a few other pure graphics things, and one was just the sort of the the really satisfying but maybe kind of shocking cartoon violence of like you kill an enemy and just a skeleton pops out, and then the first <laughs> time that happened with one of the bees. Yes. Before, before I looked closely, I was like, bees have skeletons? <laughs> but it, then I noticed it was more like a, a shell or a husk. But it was just like, whoa. Well, and th there are a couple enemies that use, like, two or three different enemies that all use the same skeleton animation. And that was one of those things that when I noticed, I was like, oh, lame. Like, <laughs> come on. If you're going to make them explode into a cloud of bones and dust, like... Show me their bones. What does that guy's <laughs> bones look like? Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it does... I mean, by the end of the game, you've seen it a billion times, but the first few times that happens, it's pretty, like, satisfying visual to see. <laughs> it, no, it totally is. The, the little death animations, um, even the way characters, uh, good guys and bad guys, like, hit and kind of collapse in like a heap and then recover and like the bee actually like hits the ground and then it like takes off again and like uh the little mushroom guys like get thrown kind of onto their cap and then they like flip back up onto their feet like the the combat animations are actually pretty like detailed they're pretty mm -hmm. interactive and, and they feel rich um unfortunately this game suffers from what almost every game of this era suffered from which is massive palette swapping so it's like once you've yeah. seen one mushroom do a cool little flip and then you just see it in like eight different rainbow colors you're like okay i get it but yeah it's it's still th there was as much attention to detail as they probably felt like they could fit on the cartridge at that time in history yeah and the first several areas before they start the palette swapping, you, you, it feels pretty much it feels pretty awesome. Like, oh, they've got lots of rich character designs, and then the palette swapping sets in after you know third or fourth area. You're like, oh, <laughs> that guy. But yeah, it also felt like about three quarters of the way into the game, they were like, we are done introducing new enemies now. 
You're just going to yeah, see not them even in, new bosses. <laughs> yeah, you're you're just going to see them in combinations that make no damn sense. Because it was like, oh, in the woods you see the mushroom people, and then near like the fields and the waterfall you see like the bees and the rabbits or rab- rabbits rabbits. Let's go with rabbits. I so always you, said like, rabbits in my head, but it yes. probably should be rabbits. <laughs> Rabbities. Um, <laughs> rab- rab- uh So you, you see them and you're like, oh, I get it. Like they're kind of on theme. And then later you're in like the super magical futuristic mega fortress and there's like mushrooms and bees and ducks with army helmets and medieval knights with like maces and flails and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. and ninjas and just like, and the oh. Chobin hoods. <laughs> oh, jeez. But it, yeah, I mean, it, it really feels like they. They're like, well, we don't have enough room for any new sprites, and we need a bunch of different enemies because they behave in different ways, and that'll make this area more difficult. So just take whatever ingredients you find in the fridge and put them all in this pot and call it a soup. Yeah. Um, I did uh, I did particularly like, though, um, talking about variety, that when you upgrade uh, all the weapons, they get like little, in your little radial menu, they get like little different... Um, icons i guess and yeah then, and some of them even like changed to like it'll be a whip but then it's like i don't know if it was the whip that became a ball and chain at some point but yeah the the whip goes at least through, the icon uh, did <laughs> well and yes this is exactly my point is that they <laughs> they didn't double down on that level of detail where sometimes it looks different on the overworld map and sometimes it super does not <laughs> yeah it's just like, oh, this looks nothing like the icon now, so now it's just confusing. Yeah, I, I suppose that's like, well, the sword changed color, that's easy, but the becoming a ball and chain, we're not going to make a new set of animations <laughs> for that. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing any Does of that. your character have to drag it back to himself after he throws it? <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't really do the quick snap back to your hand with a ball and chain without <laughs> seriously risking yourself. <laughs> but, I mean, th- this... I don't want to. I'm with you that the graphics are are pretty good, particularly for this era. The my main complaint because like I was annoyed by the 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 weapons not being as varied as they are in the menu on the overworld mm-hmm. map. But that's like that's a pretty minor thing. The place where I actually started to get disappointed in the graphics was not the palette swapping; it was the tile reuse in the maps. Yeah. So you're like you're on the first map. And there's like these little, they kind of look like tulips. You know, it's like a little, there's like a little red one, a little yellow one with like little leaves. And they're like tiled around. And then you just see them like everywhere in the world. Like no matter where you go, no matter what the climate there is like, (laughs) they just like stamp similar rocks and similar flowers and similar trees. And, and it makes, it makes everything feel small. Like, oh, if the exact same kind of plants are growing here, this must be the same kind of area. I'm not like, like you go to the desert and that place is super different, but there's no, because of the way you get around, there's no like bleed over where like the forest or the jungle like becomes the desert and then becomes yeah. the mountains. So everything feels very like, um, what do you call it? Like a tableau. It's like a set piece. And then the fact yeah. that there are, it's like, wait a minute, those are the same flowers they used in Act One. They just put them on the other side of the stage so that it would feel different. Like once that started jumping out to me, I was like, eh, th- this is bothering me. Like this, this feels clunky and kind of lazy. Yeah, and 
I mean, I, I also think Square was still figuring out some of their software tricks and techniques because when I look at Chrono Trigger, which I think I don't I don't know if it's using the same game engine or if it's just like it's same company, so the art direction's similar, but it's a totally different guts underneath. But it when I play Chrono Trigger and I actually fired it up after <laughs> this game just to <laughs> feel the contrast even more. And I, I just see how many different ways that Square upped their game in between that. And and since they move similar, even though they have very different game systems, Chrono Trigger's not real-time combat, for one. But uh, um, I can just see some of the similarities. And, you know, like you're in a house in Secret of Mana, and like I see a table and some chairs and a few detailed things, and you hop over to Chrono Trigger, and it's just like, Oh my God! There's cabinets <laughs> and like wires on the ground and individual planks and like there's just so much detail. Yeah the uh, the whole world feel in Secret of Mana feels anemic, but in in an unintentional way. So like uh, I played Bravely Default, which is a, a much more modern game, but it's deeply inspired by this era of JRPGs. And one of the things I immediately noticed about Bravely Default is the world is oppressively tiny. Like an entire kingdom might have like four buildings, but <laughs> but they they don't pretend that there are more buildings off in the distance like a lot of like PS1 era RPGs did where it's like, oh, there's this whole area over there and you just can't go there. But that's where all the people in the kingdom yeah. live, right? Like Bravely Default made no effort to do any of that. But they also some I don't I don't know what trick they did to do this, but like you kind of don't care. You're just like, oh, this kingdom has four buildings in it, and like you just are sort of okay with it. Whereas Secret of Mana, I just constantly felt like, where is everything else? Like, where is everyone else? Like, there's this yeah. giant oppressive empire that's coming to take over the world i guess but like where the did hell are ever, they yeah did you ever really feel that they had property other than like the things they were hijacking no it's just it's like oh it's you just, just these, like six a, guys yeah you'd see a representative of them like yelling at you at the end of certain levels but he, it did never feel like oh i'm on enemy turf now yeah you you never feel like you're uh, you're in the good guy territory and then you go to the bad guy territory. You never feel like they're coming to get you from some other place. You certainly never see it. And the way they talk is very much like the world is big and full of people and these bad people from the empire are coming to get us. And it's like, I don't where though, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't see them. And now that I have a flying dragon, I can't go to where they are because they aren't anywhere. Like, I've literally yeah. been everywhere in the world and they're not there. So like, what are we, what are we so afraid of? And like every town feels that way. Every house feels that way. The fact that every single person is just randomly running into walls. Like <laughs> they're desperately trying to break out of the Truman show world that they live in is yeah. it, it makes everything feel anemic. Like, like they just didn't finish building the set. Yeah, they they sprinkled a bunch of random spices into their meal, but they didn't really check to see if it tasted good. It was just like, well, let's just make it look filled with some stuff. <laughs> it it does. I guess I'm I'm sure a set designer could explain this more eloquently, but like when you watch a movie and it and it's done by like a director with a good eye, 
you expect there to be like specific books on the shelf in the background, right? To like tell you little secret things about this character because you can read some of the spines or you recognize artwork or something. And it's like, oh, that's a, a smart little detail. When you go to a play, you super do not expect that kind of detail and you're okay with it. It's not that it's not there and it's a shortcoming. It's that it's not there and that's totally fine. And I don't know how you accurately communicate to an audience don't expect a super high level of detail here because that's not what we're going for but this is the opposite of that you feel like there's supposed to be all this detail and all of this stuff in the world and there's not and it's it just leaves you feeling i don't know incomplete Like the opposite of it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> yes. You see yes, this big house and you step inside and there's just one little room. Or, yeah, it's just uh, a studio apartment. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> um, so uh, so the we go one to mechanics the... officially or you got it? Oh, no. I, I have one other thing about uh, gameplay. And then, as you know, we have to talk about the audio. Um, the uh, the one other thing about the, uh, the graphics uh, is... And this is a little bit of a mechanic thing because I felt like all of the shortcomings with the graphic engine are mechanic problems, so it's difficult to disentangle them. But um, in combat, uh, it is very, very clear when you have hit a monster, and it's very, very clear when magic has hit them, and it's very, very clear when you've been hit and when you've been hit uh, by magic and when you're under a status effect. All those things are super transparent. What's ridiculously opaque is when you have autonomy to make those things happen. Yeah. So, like, the hitbox on a monster is really consistent, but it's not always there. Like, there's so this window where they're all immortal. The, and I, yeah, this is definitely bleeding into mechanics, but the, what I, the way I described it is can you learn why you missed? <laughs> <laughs> And no, the game does not give you any information about why you missed. Did you did you swing like you're using the sword and you weren't close enough? Maybe. <laughs> um, there's an invisible amount of time after you hit an enemy where you can't hit them. Well, you can sometimes, and it just cues the hit to hit later. And then so that's confusing when you have partners that are also swinging. You don't exactly know who's <laughs> responsible for which damage. Um, but no, a frequent, you know, annoying problem. There's some bosses which can't be hit by regular weapons or only at a certain stage of their animation, but you, you don't get a miss. You don't get a, there's just no feedback visually for why or when. (laughs) Yeah. And this is definitely a, a mechanics problem, but the reason I wanted to at least touch on this in, um, the visuals is because, this is one of the few places where the visuals falls down in a way that negatively impacts the gameplay is yeah. that you get zero visual feedback as to like, cause some enemies when they're on the ground, you can just wail on them until they die. <laughs> and then other enemies when they're in their getting up animation, you can hit them. And then other enemies when they're in their getting up animation, you can't hit them. And there is no visual or auditory difference between those and the things. Bees, you can hit them when they're on the ground, but if they're in the process of flying back in the air, no, they're invincible until they're fully back up and running. And yeah. then there's there's some enemies that clearly they built in an animation where they're intentionally dodging you. And so that was like, oh, they dodged my hit. But 
not all of them, only a few of them. And yeah, that yeah. was very frustrating from a visual standpoint of just feeling like I don't know how to change my behavior to make that miss a hit. <laughs> yeah, and and that's something that I, I think is... Because the, the anemic world and like the reusing of tulips, like I get... I, I don't... I can't just ignore it, but I get why that would happen. And it doesn't take away from my ability to play the game, but not no, like I'm swinging my sword and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I don't know wh- why, why sometimes do bones come out and other times you go unhurt? Yeah. Like it's that when the that, game design, it wanted to live in between Zelda and a, like a, a turn-based RPG that's based on dice rolling stats. And, <laughs> Because, I mean, I wonder if some of my misses were just like, well, that character's hit percentage with that weapon is 70%, so 3 out of 10, you're just going to (laughs) miss. And visually, you swing and you hit them, but we're also rolling dice on the side. That has nothing to do with the visuals. And that's something that drove me nuts in Morrowind on PC, was it was a a first-person hack-and-slash, just kidding, it's really dice, like, it's all dice. And later games got way more simplistic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's annoying. I actually do have some other, like, m- sort of not mechanic-y visual things. The menu on. background's busy. <laughs> 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 and I, I, I think I found, like, the simplest one, so text would be a little easier to read. But most of them were, like, these garish patterns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's one that looks like a... Like a, a a frame like an art frame from the Louvre. <laughs> There's one that looks like columns. There's like the super ornate one that's like even more complicated than the Just art frame one. Not yeah. interested in any of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, when the text is already badly localized where words randomly break in the middle, I don't need to add a bunch of visual clutter <laughs> around it to make it even harder to consume the text. I think I read and I don't know you guys don't usually bring up a lot of like side we, research. We, 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 guys, we, we, we normal two guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I think uh, squares time and budget for localization was a lot smaller than they would eventually invest in these games. <laughs> and I, I imagine some guy had a week to translate the whole game. And I, I think even he had some roadblocks like, they used fixed width characters from the original game, and they had to set a number of screens that were allowed to show in certain scenes because they weren't going to reprogram the length of. Nope. And they probably didn't set it up smartly to where they could be like, go until this conversation is done. They, it was just like hard coded, like there are three <laughs> bubbles that pop up here, and so he's he's translating to fit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a it's like an anime where it's like, well, I need to get the meaning of this statement to fit into these mouth flaps and I'm going to have to find English words that convey this meaning and also are a similar number of syllables, right? With with <laughs> emphasis. And I mean, this is a hard problem and like I have definitely made fun of bad localizations before and I promise you I will do it again, but it is a super hard problem. Like whoever, you know, person or team of people did this, we're probably working within a very tiny budget and incredibly tight restraints. They had no control over. It doesn't make it any less annoying when the word you is Y new line. OU. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I get it. I, I, I can empathize with their plight, even if I'm also still really pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, 
it's this is also a game that puts damage numbers on enemies like most of Square's RPGs, and it's that's also a thing that's kind of half baked in this game. Where <laughs> I, I appreciated, you know, the very direct visual feedback of this is how hard you hit them. You're, you know, you're when you swing too early and your little meter hasn't charged up, and it's just like three. You're like no, no. Um, but other than sort of developing my own internal intuitive, like rabbits have about this much health. Um, there's not really a lot of other ways to learn about why a number, how a number measures up to your opponent. There's no health bars that shrink down as you hit them. Um, I don't, can't remember. Does the the girl's targeting spell actually tell you an HP level for enemies? It does. Yeah. Okay. The, so I guess you could sit and analyze. T- I think you could take notes on that. I guess in reference, but it's there's not enough in game to like. Here's this number, but we're going to give you nothing else to like put it in context to anything. Well, more obnoxious than that to me is the fact that everybody, so like boy, girl, and sprite, when they hit, it's the same color. So to a point you made a minute ago, it's like, oh, who landed that hit? Because I don't know how long it's going to be before we can <laughs> attack again, right? And like some enemies are very, very strong against physical attacks and you basically have to use magic to beat them. So it would be good to know, oh, is that because Sprite landed a hit with the pitchfork and Sprite has no ranks in pitchfork? <laughs> or is it because this enemy is magically protected and we have to use spells to defeat it? But because it's like we all swung at the same time, and I don't know who made first blood. Like, yeah. there's no no clear indicator of who is dealing damage. Generally, the boy seems to do the most damage. But like by the end of the game, girl was stabbing people to death with that spear. So like, <laughs> she would routinely with the spear and the bow do as much damage as I was doing with the sword. So I was like, well, I don't know who actually hit, and it would be nice to know. Yeah. So definitely if some disconnected visuals there. I think I have one more before we move on to sound. And that's, uh, let's, let's see, which one was it here? Uh, so the inventory. I know we'll have a lot to say about the inventory later, but a visual <laughs> Why? thing. It's, it's so well thought out. <laughs> so just for the listener who hasn't played this game that just wants a quick rundown, when you press the menu button in this game, there's actually two menu buttons in this game, whether it's your main character or a secondary character. Um, it pops a ring right around your character, and you can scroll side to side to spin the ring and up and down to switch to a new ring. And what I find visually infuriating about this is there's no, like, HUD indication of, like, if you press up, what's the next ring going to be? Is it your armor? Is it your weapons? Oh, no, you just have to straight up memorize it. And I swear (laughs) I I tried to memorize, like, I tried to intuitively be like, I bet it's down. And it always I just (laughs) guess wrong every single time and have to keep spinning through the rings. And so just... They could have given us more visual context on you're on one of three and you just know that one, two, or or next is, you know, this one's above and this one's below. So press to get to the next ring. Yeah, the the radial menu thing, because like it, it, it pauses the action, but it doesn't take you to a different screen. And that, I think, is an interesting choice. I mean, there's definitely, I think the theme of Secret of Mana is in hindsight, some of these were good ideas and other things weren't, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where this is all and ultimately building yeah, for me. Or but. we got started on a good idea and we didn't finish 
honing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We we stopped at oh this would be neat and and the radio menu is. I think cool at not taking you out of the action and dumping you on like a Final Fantasy style, like now you're in the menu, right? Um, which is neat, but it's not super fun to navigate. And I started by like, I would say the third act of the game, I'd like started to mostly memorize it. What pissed me off is when the girl and the sprite would be like right on top of each other. Yep. <laughs> and the only way to figure out whose magic I was looking at was to open one of them and be like, is it attack spells or status spells? <laughs> yeah. And then thank God it like right near the end of the game, the sprite gets shadow magic and the girl gets like Lumia magic. So it's like, that's a quick visual indicator. Like, Oh, I'm looking at the girl's radial yeah. because there's Lumia. <laughs> yeah. The game really would have benefited from a few more hints in the design of what you're looking at and what's nearby that you can switch to. Yeah. I, I will end on one positive note for the visuals, though, because this, this to me is representative of they were being thoughtful, but we have just we've learned things in the intervening 25 years <laughs> that make some of the flaws really stand out. But uh, did you get to play this two player at all or did you just play by yourself? Just just by myself. Okay, so I actually got to do a little bit of two-player uh, playing with Susan. So I, you know, I plugged in second controller. I kind of explained to her like the basic concept, and then um, I was like, "Oh, you can't just keep swinging because like your little status bar has to refresh, and then you can do like a full power attack again." And she was like, "Oh, okay," but then like I have to keep looking down there, and I was like, "Oh no," because when your thing re like you're flashing, and then when your thing is refreshed, it goes like. Blink, and it does like one last like uh, big yeah. colorful pop and then you know you're back at 100 percent, and you kind of internalize like about how long it takes because it always takes the exact same amount of time and uh, i noticed then when i was playing by myself that the computer controlled characters don't do the little timing refresh visualization only the human controlled ones do that which is very very thoughtful like you, you don't need this additional visual clutter on the screen when you're not even controlling those characters. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this, you know, like this, this to me is proof that these people were trying to put clever design elements into this. And sometimes they didn't or missed <laughs> yeah. what I think is an obvious choice, but like, it's, it's not laziness. It's, um, you know, time resources and then just how things have changed since then yeah yeah I, I definitely get the sense that talented developers and artists were involved in this game they just didn't get to bake it as long or <laughs> as carefully as some later square games got and i'm sure we'll get into some of that more to audio <laughs> to audio okay um i have to say that this game is a on the music side is, you know, Square has made some of the most memorable game soundtracks of all time. And this game has like a couple themes that are almost in that company of like, wow, that's a really like the title screen. And then I, maybe one other song, like one of the town themes is pretty, you know, memorable. And then the rest, I cannot even tell you anything about it or like there's so much music in the game that it just blurred by and I have no idea, couldn't hum it and see I I I I I'm with you almost except that uh, I was shocked by how little total music was in this game. Like there's 
the overworld song, the sad song, the boss song. There's no fight music because you, it it doesn't go in and out of combat since it's real time combat. Um, The towns all have, there's like two, I think different town songs, right? Like there's, there's a weirdly small amount of music, which I think kind of added to that feeling of like smallness about the world is like, Oh, now I'm in another town on the other side of the planet, but it has similar music and the same crazy dancing Arabian guy (laughs) running the inn. So it's, it's just like the visuals haven't changed that much. The audio hasn't really changed that much or maybe at all. And that, and like, I like the music in this game. I actually think it's pretty good. I just mm-hmm. was every time a boss fight started, and it's like that. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot the boss music in this game is like pretty cool. And then by the as, in the second half of the game, you fight like more bosses than regular enemies. And like <laughs> yeah. every time the boss music would come up, I was like, all right, I get it. <laughs> and that that song doesn't have a very long loop either. Even though boss fights aren't that long, you manage to go through the loop at least once or twice. Yeah. Um, no, you yeah. you hear that little startup uh, guitar riff or whatever it's supposed to be <laughs> like three or four times per boss fight easily. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and it probably is more a case of not enough music rather than any particularly bad music. Um, yeah. And so that kind of hurts it overall, even though there's some good stuff here. Um, sound effects, uh, hitting and killing enemies is a very satisfying sound. I, have, I mean, I have to give them props on that. Totally. The, the clink sound you mentioned when your, your, your thing charges up, I was worried that that would be like a Zelda heartbeat situation of like, oh my God, stop making that noise. But I, it actually didn't really bother me throughout the game. It's... It's quiet enough. It's kind of subtle enough that it, like, they could have made it a much worse beep of like "you're ready" <laughs> or like the arcade version of Punch Out that declares what you did every single time you do it. Body blow, body blow. <laughs> do you ever play the arcade Punch Out? Yeah. Well, I now my new uh, metric for noise where noise did not need to happen is the uh, walking sound effect in the arcade Donkey Kong. yeah it's like when you have wet shoes like wet chuck taylor's on and it's just like (laughs) it's like pac-man sound but you're just walking you're not even eating something (laughs) you know the pac-man noise is definitely the same kind of thing i think they were very careful about the the pitch and the tone of it that it's less grating because the squeaky noise that Mario makes in Donkey Kong is definitely grating. Yeah. And the you're back at 100% noise is it's high pitched, but it's quiet. It's kind of ducked under the music. It's just like a little like, hey, you're ready to attack again. Like it's very, yeah, it's very well chosen. In fact, the my my general feelings on the sound effects in this game is that that seems to be like where a lot of polish and attention went like I don't really have anything bad to say about any of the way the magic sounds the combat noises from weapons um there aren't a lot of elements in the world that you interact with but like the cannon when you do the cannon travel makes like a satisfying noise mm-hmm. uh the the drum when you call flamey makes like a it, it sounds exactly like one of those real drums like yeah it's, I had one of those growing <laughs> up <so>. totally <laughs> right like the the sound effects are actually like really good like that team was like you know we're gonna the graphic they're gonna reuse that tulip everywhere but these sound effects are gonna be killer yeah i'm not sure i could distinguish 
like if I just heard some of the magic spells, I probably couldn't tell you which spell they were, but I don't think that was ever a serious problem. It's like, well, it's burning them or it's hitting them. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you. I think I could actually tell you what most of the spells are by the sound they make because there aren't a lot of spells and they almost all do like there. That's the only spell that does that specific thing. I, yeah, I bet I could. I I almost want to like queue up to fire it up and, and take <laughs> yeah, right? listen. Um, but the, at the same time that, that I think is almost a non complaint from you because it's like the sound effects it, at least weren't like annoying. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that they, uh, you know, I mentioned the Zelda heartbeat earlier. Um, <laughs> they don't have that for when you're low on health in this game. And would you have wanted that? Uh, I think I would prefer a visual indicator, like the character like flashing looks, red or something. Yeah, ragged. They're flashing. Um, maybe the 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 little health meter, you know, blinks or flashes or gets bigger or smaller or something. But yeah, there, there were definitely a couple times where I was like. Oh crap! Is he dead? Oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> you get the little message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lion sees the Reaper. <laughs> Which you know, we talked a lot about the the death animations for the bad guys. The way the heroes die is really visceral, right? To like have their soul stand up with this like menacing grim <laughs> Reaper over them is just like ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm my. I I feel a little bad. Uh, totally blown over the audio but i i really um i i wish there was more music and the sound effects were like really good like i don't i, yeah. don't, I don't really have a ton to say there like i actually no, thought no most of the magic problems. is um like you can at least tell which uh not family but like which elemental like it came from because like the fire one has like poppy explodey noises the the earth one has like lots of kind of gravelly noises the um the shadow one has like these kind of more magical, they don't sound very natural. They sound, you know, supernatural. Um, it's like, it's really good. Like the sound effects <laughs> are like the, the weirdly most polished part of the game. Yeah. I, I wish they had gone an extra mile with like the bosses for like, you know, one of the best things about a Zelda game is when you hit a boss that like, like type sound. Totally. That, and I mean, I get it in Zelda, you usually only have to hit a boss, you know, three or six, or I guess on the Super Nintendo one, sometimes you're you're swinging the sword over and over for a while, but um, it's it's just a satisfying indicator. Not that it was bad, like when you do hit them, it's still, it's still the good sound that you get when you hit any enemy, but... And they explode um, when they die, have a little explodey animation. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Although you do make a good point that the, the bosses are weirdly silent, like they don't they themselves do not make a lot of noises and they don't make noises. Like when you hit them They're those, and those encounters from a are visual standpoint. There's a, a lot of times where like some of the bosses do get like dramatic introductions, but a lot of times you just step into a room and it's like boss music and they're, they're, they're up there. And <laughs> whenever you feel like it, you can walk up and there they are. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's not, um, there isn't a lot of pomp and circumstance <laughs> starting kinda, a boss fight. A weird presentation there. Like, <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were coming later. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Which is, you know, that's an interesting juxtaposition because the first few bosses are like 
there's a story element around them where like you fall into the pit and you gotta like save the dumb fat kid. Yeah. And then like you you you, know, you get thrown out of the town, and it's like a big deal. And then like there's this uh you gotta you gotta fight off the monster in the dwarf town, like the plant thing, because like the dwarf town is being destroyed and like there like you understand why you're fighting a more powerful monster, and then a lot of the later boss fights are just like uh, it's a boss. <laughs> it's been seven rooms, Joe. Should we throw a boss at him? Yeah, put him in the next room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not... Um, they they sort of gave up on framing devices, for especially in that, that second or like third act, I guess. It's like some of the dungeons are like room, boss, room, boss, room, boss, room, boss, dungeon over. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> and especially when they're throwing that many bosses at you and half of them are, remember that other boss? <laughs> There he is again. <laughs> but this time he's purple. <laughs> so um I guess we've uh we've really been weaving mechanics and, and things throughout, but we we, yeah, we might as well make it official left. so that I so that I have a place to, you know, put the, the marker <laughs> yes. on, on the MP three. Um yeah, let's talk about mechanics and controls and crap. Uh did you notice in the settings that there's an upside down controller mode? <laughs> What and, is that? What is that? Yeah. What is what, that? Is there some like reason you would want to use that? Like you just really like the circle buttons for movement and the plus pad you want to be? <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't get why. Like, Is it like a Dreamcast controller thing where you want the cord to come out the bottom and not the top <laughs> of your controller and you just feel very strongly about that? I don't know. that. And I mean... Maybe from a technological standpoint, that's a really trivial thing to implement. So they were just like, eh, throw it in there. But, but I mean, why? Like, why? I mean, I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen another game have that particular quirk. I know, like, some N64 games had to play lots of games with how <laughs> the control schemes worked. I remember Goldeneye has, like, 60 different control schemes that are, like, two controllers, one controller on this side, this side. Um, yeah. But- well, wait, okay, so and, hang on. I'm trying to think. If you're holding controller and you... No, I was going to say, oh, is it like left-handed mode because you want the D-pad on the other side? But no, that would just be called turning the controller over. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't change the mapping of the buttons. You would just turn the controller over. And in that case, you'd probably still want up or, you know, X to move your character up and that this swapped mode wouldn't fix that if you turn the controller around yeah i didn't i didn't dig it this is one of those things where uh kind of like in a, in a sitcom when like the kids are, are like doing something they're not supposed to be doing and like the dad walks by and recognizes that mischief is afoot but like doesn't want to get involved Th- <laughs> that is exactly how i addressed this like i was on the setting screen and i saw that you could turn the controller over and i went huh <laughs> and then like didn't yeah it, it, it impacted nothing i i tried it for two seconds and then turned it off and for, went on my merry way but it was just like why is that here like is like <laughs> I, I legit want to know like maybe there is a, an interesting idea behind it but i couldn't think of why it would be a good idea that's almost even more disconcerting is like was it changing some other thing you weren't aware of or like did they pull it out of the american release for some reason but in the japanese release it did like some amazing thing uh controls um well we we already hit on a little bit before but you're 
your NPC or not NPC your party because you can members. switch to them. Your partners, they don't know how to move through this world. <laughs> no, no one does. You, you as the main player are the only person who seems to understand solid objects and not yeah. not solid objects like open pathways. And there's a leash between you and them that has a certain length. And since this isn't Zelda style where there's like exact squares that you go to the edge of, it's scrolling levels, you will hit this leash very often. Um, the, the game is full of very narrow and twisting pathways upstairs and around and downstairs and like little um, implied shifts in elevation and... Um, you can just tell that they didn't quite bake through, like when you play Chrono Trigger, which has very similar screens, um, your characters are clearly programmed to follow your exact steps. Every single step you take, even if you run in goofy circles, they will run in. (laughs) And I get why in this game that wasn't a solution they could do because your characters can independently make decisions on attacking nearby enemies. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah, well, and and you mentioned they they follow you, ish, and then it's it's almost like magnets because you can one of the things you can do, which is kind of a, a clever way of of displaying this visually, is the character on the chessboard, where it's like, do you want them to attack or withdraw, or do you want them to attack or guard, and then keep close to the enemy or withdraw from the enemies, and you can place them on this coordinate plane that will affect their behavior. And and it's mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty eloquent way to visualize that that even a young child can pretty easily understand. More more fighty, less fighty. More more stay closey, more run away. But yeah. what that does is sort of uh, give a magnetism to the enemies, and you can make that magnetism way worse by giving your party members ranged weapons. So like you go like hauling ass past a monster that you don't feel like dealing with. But then the the gravitational pull of, well, well, I have a ranged weapon, and you told me to attack and keep close to the enemy. So they just, like, totally ignore you and start, like, firing arrows. And you're like, no, dumbass, come with me. And then, like, by that point, you've run around a rock, and you're now far enough away that they want to try and rubber band back to you, but they're now stuck on the other side of a rock. (laughs) But they don't understand how to go around the rock. They... Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was a, a huge... I mean, games still have this problem sometimes anyway today, but um, it, it feels like such a 90s thing because that's when games got sophisticated enough to have these kinds of partner characters, but they hadn't quite worked out. Like, you know, you go back and play your Warcraft and Starcraft games from that time. The pathfinding is pretty bad on those units too. They get caught in things all the time. And yeah, a constant frustration in this game because they also made the design decision to make these little twisty paths <laughs> that are just they're just constant traps for your partners. And it gets worse in the third act because you're in the monofortress, you're in the monoforest, you're on the the load mountains or lo- lofty mountains, whatever. You're on the mountains. So like <laughs> you are in places where it thematically makes a ton of sense to have these narrow winding paths. So it's not just bad level design where they're trying to put you into a hallway. You're in a place where it totally makes sense that you're in this like winding, you know, winding mountain path, winding, you know, uh, super magic fortress or whatever. And 
then you're like, I don't want to fight this enemy. I'm going to run away. And your party members are like, I'm going to get stuck behind a wall and then die. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're stuck, you know, maybe in an area with some enemies. And so you're going to die too. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Which I mean, I can't believe we didn't mention this uh, at visuals, but like the amount you need to get near the edge of the screen to convince the, the camera that it's time to scroll is exacerbated by this because you are running like full bore and then they get stuck on something and then the camera comes to a grinding halt. So you are now sprinting into nothingness like a mime (laughs) running in place. And then if they do find their way around the rock, you are now at the very edge of the screen hauling it face first into like a bee monster or something. Yeah. But even when they're not stuck somewhere, yeah, you do have to be basically on the edge of the screen to make it scroll. And that is in a game where you are going to be face to face with enemies that will hit you immediately. That's just kind of unacceptable. Like it, 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 it wasn't always a problem because a lot of the enemies do kind of wait a half second before they try to hit you. But those little poison lily things mm-hmm. are pretty much insta hits. And so if you're recklessly running and I mean, it's possible the designers are like, haha, you got to be more careful. It's like, but you make me <laughs> stick my face on the edge of the screen before I can move. Yeah, it's not like going slowly makes the camera... It's, it's not like Sonic the Hedgehog where you could outrun the camera. The camera does not move until you press <laughs> against the edge of the world with your face. So <laughs> so no matter how cautiously you are proceeding, you are going to run face first into monsters, which feels additionally stupid because it reminds you that you are the player because you're seeing the world from the camera's point of view. But obviously the character would know that just off screen. Yeah, I compared it to a <laughs> horror movie where, you know, really dumb horror movies where like, the character's staring out a door and it's like a side view. And since the camera doesn't see, you know, a wolf that's about to jump <laughs> into them and attack them, somehow the character doesn't see it either. And they get surprised. Ah. And I'm like, but they were, yeah. they were staring out the <laughs> door. Like, they would have seen it. <laughs> yeah, no, th- this is... Um... One of the ongoing, like from the first minute to the last minute, this is a problem with the gameplay. And it's not game breaking. I don't think there was ever a time I died because of this, but it was still like always annoying. Like every single time I ran face first into an enemy and took a hit that I would have otherwise avoided. I was just like, okay. Yeah. Um, I can't, uh, I don't think we can possibly talk about the radio menu without talking about how it impacts shopping. So, yeah. so, so can you, <laughs> we need a whole chapter on shopping. Can you describe, uh, for people who may not have internalized what this was like, the shopping experience? So, I mean, this goes back to some of the visual confusion I hinted at earlier. And number one, um, in this game, your characters pick their own weapons on their menu. Let, correct me if I get this wrong, but switching and no, no weapons are. Or yeah, maybe we, it's weapons, weapons and, and equipment are on each individual character's menu. You, okay. Anybody can use items on anybody, but you equip people in their radial. Okay, and that's also true of armor. But you you go to that character and you pick the armor equip icon, then. What was I getting at with that? Um, okay. So shopping, 
So you go to a shop and you're like, in every RPG ever, you're like, all right, what's the new stuff? I've saved up so much money. I'm really excited. And you're faced with a lot of annoying barriers right off the bat. And so a lot of them are just information they just don't give you. And the other things are just the tedious hopping back and forth a million places a million <laughs> times. Um, the, the information thing is it's not easy to determine... Uh, is this armor better for this person? You get a, all you get is a little icon indicating who can equip it. Yeah, not so, if it's better or worse. Just a, like I think it gives you the number of how strong it is, and then you gotta like, oh, I'm gonna back out and look at my armor and write down how strong that is. <laughs> and so you know, if you want to be efficient, I guess you gotta like look at your inventory and write, take notes, and then go to the shop and compare and. These are all things later games were like, oh, we're just going to tell you, and we're going to have big, bright colors indicating whether it's better or worse. And and also, right after you buy something, you can equip it immediately and then sell the old thing. And this game makes all of those <laughs> separate processes you must do sequentially. <laughs> well, it, it, it does them all as separate processes that you don't even know at first what order you have to do them in. Like, thank God there is not a variety of equipment. So any new town has better armor. Like, and, yeah, and, pretty and much. more expensive things. Like if one town sells two helmets, the more expensive helmet has the better defense. What they don't tell you, and what I literally could not find anywhere in the game, and I just stumbled across in game facts, is that some of the equipment like does other stuff. Like it protects you from status ailments and things. And I was like, this information is literally not surfaced anywhere that I can tell in the game. Like it may be in like a buried menu that I didn't bother with, but I was like, I don't, I never saw anything like that. It's not in the shop. It's not in the equipment menu. And it's also not in the game, like, as an experience that you can, like, you would just have to notice, oh, I haven't been poisoned in a while. Yes, (laughs) totally. Yeah, this information is, is like, 99 to 100% opaque to the player, which is a really weird choice, like... To program in that these certain things will have these certain status benefits and then not in any way communicate that information is like, what? why did we do this? Like, why is this yeah. here? Like, oh, well, when you have the, the dragon helmet on, it protects you from being dragonfied. And it's like, did I know that? Is that a problem? Could I have been dragonfied before I got the dragon helmet? Or only enemies could do that after the time I would have gotten it anyway. So it's not even obvious to me that this thing isn't happening. Like I have no idea. There's this whole secret world going on underneath secret of mana where dice are being rolled and I'm not being told their outcomes. Yeah. Um, and you also have the, the little cat guy. I forget his name. Neko. Neko. I wanted to say Nemo and I was wrong. I think, isn't that literally just the Japanese word for cat? I have no idea. I think it is. Um, he tended to charge twice as much for things, he, which I didn't notice at first. He does. He totally, he literally does charge double. Uh, so that was an early, that's, you know, that can just, I can chalk that up to that's just kind of fun. Or kind of the, he, yeah, he's on the road. Like, this is a, this is like the soda machine in the middle of Cedar Point. It's going to be $4. <laughs> you're in the middle, of, you're in a three-hour line. You're going to pay it. Yeah, but, yeah he's, he's kind of got know. a, uh, what do you call it, a captive market. It's yeah. like, yeah, go ahead, walk all the way back to town, or you can buy this chocolate right now. Uh, 
So one of the other things that would happen when shopping, in, and this is, a, this is something that happens in lots of RPGs, but it was just exacerbated by how slow shopping was. <laughs> and this is also a game where the shopkeeper likes to talk to you before you get to say shop. Uh-huh. And sometimes the, the, men, the interface for, like, sometimes it's save, buy, sell, but then if you are in the middle of buying and then you left and you're like, oh, I guess I'll save. No, you've got to leave the conversation and go back into it and say, yeah, now I'll save. Yeah, for some reason you can alternate between buying and selling, but anyone who also saves, you get one chance at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. And then after that, it's like they forget that that's a service they offer. And another situation that would happen a lot in in many RPGs is like you have almost enough money to buy all the new stuff, but you got to sell some old stuff to fully afford it. And I don't, I don't know how much you grinded in this game to just be able to outright afford everything. But I was in that situation constantly in this game, which is normally not a big deal in an RPG. It's like, yeah, I don't need that old stuff. But in this game, because shopping was so tedious, it just like made it extra tedious to be like, all right, buy it. Now put it on the boy. Now sell his old thing. Now go buy that extra thing. And it's just like so many I, I d- rounds. I did find myself uh, probably a quarter of the way into the game doing quick mental math, which I am admittedly not awesome at. So I was gambling with my time here a little bit. I was doing quick mental math where I was just like, okay, I have 10,000 gold and what I need to buy costs 18,000 gold. If I just sell everything that they're currently wearing, will I have enough? Yes, I think so. Okay. And because you can actually sell without unequipping. So I would actually walk in, essentially from the the game's point of view, walk into the store, take all of my clothes off and then put put them down on the counter and be like, how much clothing can these clothes plus this money buy me? (laughs) and then like put on the new equipment and i think i want to say i only brutally screwed that up once where i had to go outside and like quickly murder some nearby mushrooms or whatever to like buy or reload your save yeah like a helmet or whatever and i was like okay now we're now everybody's fully clothed again but yeah it's it's just the okay who has what what stuff is better is this stuff better okay sell all these things okay now buy all these things okay now go back into the menu then equip them all one you know all of my stuff then switch to the other character yeah. and equip all of their stuff then switch to the other character and you know do do through the radio menu it's like just so many <laughs> steps everything is just so many steps when you just compare that to final fantasy 6 where it's like Buy the stuff that's clearly marked as better and also any special abilities it'll give you on the side. Go to character, press optimum. <laughs> yep. I think, didn't they do that all the way back to four? I don't think four had an optimum, but the shops definitely told you what was better. Ooh, I think it did. <laughs> Maybe one of the remakes added it in, but I don't think the original. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll have to do some of that research we're famous for and then do follow up <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is why I say like everything about this game, about secret of Mana is just a lot of, here's an idea. And then it made it like into a finished product. (laughs) And like, I I don't know what it's like to be a professional video game tester, but I really wish that someone had been like, Hey, um, shopping sucks. Can we, can we, can we change that? Oh no, the the cartridges are already on trucks. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) just so you guys know, this, this part of the game is not fun. 
Yeah. Um, trying to think what other some mechanic stuff. Um, you have any other shopping based complaints? Um, you kind of mentioned it with like the save buy sell thing, and and that made me aware of uh, not being able to accelerate um, speech because this game actually does not have an overwhelming amount of dialogue. And quick side note, I sort of love that the main character gets dialogue, like. <laughs> because they didn't just assume that you would only ever play as the boy. You might, as soon as you get the girl, she might always be player one. Or as soon as you get mm-hmm. the Sprite, Sprite might always be player one. But like the, the, the main character, the boy is not like an empty vessel who just nods. Like he, he says things, he has like a personality and, and that's kind of awesome. Um, but there isn't a ton of dialogue in the game. So you're not constantly like, okay, I get it. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Where you're trying to like scroll through pages and pages of dialogue, except in the store. You're just like, yeah, you're just like, yes, I get it. Okay. You're happy to see me. No, I don't want to save. I actually just want to sell stuff. And like, you can't fast forward through any of that text. And the, yeah. the shopping experience is the only place where that's like thrown in your face that you can't fast forward through the text. And it's not. It's not a charming, they're not funny, like, <laughs> no. it's just, there's nothing gained for this tedium. It's just, like, they didn't figure it out yet that we don't like this. One <laughs> <laughs> um, of the other mechanical things that uh, stood out to me as totally pointless in the beginning part of the game, and then suddenly made sense to me at the very end of the game, <laughs> was, uh, there's, like, randomly these, like, pokey they almost look like cactus leaves and then there's some like tall grass that you have to like cut down and then there's a whole big middle section of the game where you basically don't have to do that at all and then in the mono fortress there's those little green crystals everywhere that you have to cut down and in the beginning part of the game i was just like oh there's just sometimes there's like plants that have to cut down that's that's weird and then they totally abandon that mechanic for eighty per- the middle 80% of the game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it pops back up in the Mono Fortress. And I realized because the the density of enemies in the Mono Fortress is so much higher, oh, it's because when I'm chopping the crystals down, it keeps resetting my damage counter. And if there's an, et- or, you know, the little charge meter. And if there's an enemy right on the other side of the crystals, I essentially have to chop the crystals and then like jump back and charge yeah. and then rush in or i have to use magic so that he's down while i'm chopping the crystals like it's it's this little tiny almost insignificant nod toward <laughs> like strategy and like the way you approach an environment and an encounter um and that's it like it's not <laughs> it's not like developed or and you thought i was gonna have some other thing and (laughs) nope nope. yeah it's not it's not developed it's not expanded on pretty much every encounter is identical in that you just walk up you bash on them till they die or you run away and like that's it but there's this one little thing that's like oh someone at some point thought wouldn't it be interesting if the environment impacted the way you interact with enemies and then they do not pursue that any further. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it definitely I got stuck early in the game. I I I got the like the the plant chopping the the little cactus leafy things, but there was one of the caves it did not register to me that I needed to use the axe to go through like the stalact 
stalagmites, the ones on the ground, I guess. Yeah, one. I think and, one person says that one time, and if you miss that comment... <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely hit game facts after a couple <laughs> rounds of, like, where do I go? And, like, I, I think I knew, like, oh, I think I should go through this room, but I just can't. <laughs> and, like, I think because I, I was also set in the, like, I want to use this weapon, I like this weapon, and it took a couple a few of those situations to finally go oh you got to switch weapons which you know it was more obvious to me when you needed to use the whip to you know grab the post and hop across things because it was just kind of unmistakable like there it is and that that was also one of the few things that's in final fantasy adventure that i would have recognized of like oh using the well they also did a good job of at that point of being like oh here's here's the whip like you just got it now you need now we're going to force you into a situation where you must use it. And they do the same thing with the ax. The problem is it's less visually obvious that these things, like you don't really typically chop rocks down with an ax. Yeah. It's like <laughs> little trees maybe, but right. And, and also, um, uh, what's his name? The, the, the Smith, he, I think is the one who's like, Oh, you could use this to like, chop down small rocks or something and like if you kind of you're like yeah whatever give me my axe they really needed to give you a rock in that room that you (laughs) were you know nintendo style like you can't leave this room till you at least go through the mechanical motion of swinging an axe yeah absolutely in fact i'm sorry um i don't know how i skipped over this note uh in visuals but we need to circle back on this um (laughs) to this day i'm gonna be 33 years old next week uh, at the time we're recording to this, I cannot look at the the Smith guy and not see his helmet as his face. <laughs> I need to look at him again. So he is a dwarf with like a big blue beard, but he wears like his helmet is like a cow's skull with like big horns. Oh yeah, and I I can't do. I know his face is the part below the cow skull. <laughs> But my entire childhood, I was like, why is there this terrifying skull monster who is a blacksmith in this dwarf town? And then, you know, later in like my teens, when I was replaying this, I was like, okay, he's a dwarf. He's a dwarf. I'm going to look and I'm going to see his face. (laughs) Nope. Terrifying skull monster. And like when I sat down, the second I got to the dwarf for this playthrough, the second I got to the town, I was like, there he is. I know he has a blue beard. I know that those things are supposed to be his eyes, but all I can see is his terrifying skull face. I had to look at this for about a solid minute before I could finally see the, the little bearded face. <laughs> right. It, yeah, it looks like he's got sunglasses on and then a helmet on top. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's just one of those things that my, you know, 10-year-old brain was like skull face and that those neurons can never be un- untangled. Like they are. The- Is there a word for mis like visually misreading what sprites are conveying and seeing something else instead? Because in, in the original Metroid, the little there's these little guys that float back and forth, and I always thought they looked like just the eyes of like Ryu and Ninja Gaiden, like just like a ninja. <laughs> Like it was just this floating. There was no head shape. It was just like the eye opening, like the the, in the that opening from the ninja mask. Yeah, <laughs> floating, and that's all I see. And I know that in this sci-fi universe of Metroid, there's not little ninja faces floating back and forth. But 
my brain refuses to admit that it looks like anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like an optical illusion, except like we're failing. Because like a good optical illusion tricks you into seeing what they want you to see. And this is like they've somehow tricked us into seeing the wrong thing and we can't see the right thing. It's like the visual version of I want to rock and roll all night and part of every day, like hearing <laughs> wrong lyrics. <laughs> so even as a child, you were very like kind of conservative and reserved. You were like, yeah, you can have me all night or all day, but I'm going to need to rest at some point. I'm going to need to shower. I'm going to need to eat. Like Part, part of every day is the most you can have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got so many other mechanic <laughs> things. I know, like we're we're just backing into random things. I mean, it's never that orderly on the show that I've been on since its inception That's right. That's for right. every episode. Um, boss fights, um, pretty disappointing. I have to say, on the whole, I I, I mean, some of the designs are cool, and th- definitely some of them are more difficult than others. And but, oh man, they were boring to me, or just like. Just hit them, hit them, hit them. Oh, this is one where you can't hit them. So spell, 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 spell. Okay, we're done. Well, and you make a good point about spell, 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 because certain spells can be what is apparently referred to in the GameFAQs community as chain-casted, where you can start casting it again before the animation is finished. Like the gem missile is the most easy to abuse that. And it will stack damage. So if it does 100 damage, you can cast it nine times to do all (laughs) nines damage. And they literally cannot respond. They can't move. They can't do anything. They just stay in the open mouth getting hit frame of whatever their animation is (laughs) until you are done abusing them. It's like the pause trick in Blaster Master on the one frog boss. Totally. (laughs) And it, it sucks all of the drama out of the boss fights when you're like oh they're weak against gnome well i guess i know how this is gonna go gem missile gem missile gem missile gem missile gem missile gem missile done yeah but like the game doesn't give you a lot of reasons not to do that because it's not fun to fight them straight up no it's it's not like there's the easy mode where you can spam gem missile and then there's like the fun challenging mode like you are heavily incentivized to just spam gem missile and then walk away well, and some of the bosses you literally pretty much cannot hit unless you use the spell. And so your your choice is use a spell, then let him hit me, or just spam the spell and be done with it. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's kind of it's an extension of I don't know when I can hit the bee monster unless I hit him in exactly this part of his animation. Then I have to wait for him to get all the way up, and it's kind of not really obvious. The bosses are that same problem, just on a grander scale, like. There's whole parts of my animation where I'm completely invincible, except for this one frame and also this whole other different animation, which I only go into randomly. And when I'm flying, you can't hit me with projectile weapons for some reason, but occasionally the sword will land. Like, it's just, (laughs) it's really not clear. And because of that, once you discover chain casting and once you have analyzed where it's like, you know exactly what they're weak against... It's like, well, I'm yeah. just gonna burn all my walnuts, like recharging sprites magic until you're dead, and then we, and then <laughs> yeah. we leave. When like I think one of the one the bird like one that's on like the really long legs mm-hmm. and this just hops constantly, like that one was just like there's you want me to spam a spell like there's just no other approach to this boss. 
Yeah. It's not even cheating. It's apparently what you intended. Yeah, and that that's the the design choice that I disagree with is having a situation like this in an RPG where it's like, oh, there is one and only one way to fight this monster. It's like, well, then make that one and only one way like really satisfying. Yeah. And like, so one of the things that comes to mind is this is a game that has equipped you with the possibility of all these different weapon types <laughs> and presented you a long runway of upgrading them with orbs and increasing each character's skill so that they can charge up their attack. And that is like, you want the gameplay to create a bunch of space for you to enjoy the fact that you invested in these weapons. And I did not feel rewarded whatsoever. Yeah, I could charge up and like make big hits, but it's like, do I want to wait 30 seconds to maybe hit them <laughs> and just like have this infuriating experience the whole time or just spam the spell and, and move on? Yeah. But then like you get through the fight, but then I don't know. I, I had this feeling when I was watching like the, the Matrix sequels, which apparently exist <laughs> recently, where when I was in a fight scene in the in the one of the sequel movies i was like god i'm just like numb like can we just move on to like the story and then the story would happen i was like oh god this is bad will you just give me some action and just like no matter where you land in the cycle you're just like can this be over now (laughs) yeah it's um it's not good (laughs) like it's not it's not good to feel that kind of like okay, I'm like I'm ready to be done. Like I, I get it, right? <laughs> and the I think the variety of the weapons is just it's another instance of oh cool, there's all these different weapons. Oh okay, they they behave a little bit differently, but not so differently that it would dramatically impact my playstyle. And also the sword is the obvious one they want me to use, so I'm just gonna use that. And like, and I'll just give the NPC or the the you know the computer controlled characters ranged weapons so that they're slightly more useful. Yeah, and just tell them to stay the hell away. Yeah, from... and then you just forget that other weapons are like even an option, and then you forget for so long that it's like, oh, my sword is you know level seven, and everything else is like level one. So I'm not going to switch now. <laughs> <laughs> when I was just hard pressed to like. The game didn't leave enough breadcrumb trails of like making you really want to. And like I don't know, like in a Zelda game, the upgrades to armor and swords, you want them. They're just so nice to get. And and also just every single item in your inventory, um almost all of them are used. And I know it's sort of a Zelda cliche of like you used it in the dungeon, you got it, <laughs> but they do sprinkle stuff throughout the world that makes that thing they designed have a place in the world and that just they didn't carry that through with this or or go go the other direction in like a final fantasy where it's like oh this this sword just gives you a bigger number so when you hit things you get a bigger number but like it's not it's not spectacular there's no fanfare there's no bs there's an entire lore and and mechanic in this world based around the weapons, the the weapons of mana and getting these orbs so that you can power them up. And it has virtually no impact on the universe. <laughs> Every time you have to switch to the axe or the whip so that you can navigate a level, it's just annoying. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not mechanically satisfying. And 
the mechanics don't do anything to support the lore of the world where like only this one you know cow skull faced asshole can upgrade your weapons you don't buy <laughs> weapons in stores you have to buy armor but you have to upgrade your weapons yeah. through god i can't believe i can't remember his name but that you know cow face guy like it's just so it, it's so aspirational and just falls so flat and it's kind of the theme of the game that there's just not much reason to do anything outside of like you know and a lot of rpgs it's like you want to go to every room of the the town because there's going to be a secret there's a treasure there's and there's almost none of that in this game um you can mow the grass like zelda but there's no rupees in it there's no reason to other than it's like oh it's interesting they like made a vigil for when your sword hits the grass and that's it yeah so and it, I mean we've we've been we're we're dancing right up close to it, but do you wanna should we address overtly whether or not we felt like it held up? <laughs> yeah. Um I can't see why someone who didn't have nostalgia goggles for this game would want to spend more than maybe an hour with it. Um definitely a struggle to get through. <laughs> I did beat it on this playthrough. It's the only time I've ever beaten this game, and it's the last time I will ever beat this game. Um, I, you know, in spite of the aspirational things, it it kind of lands in a. Maybe this is a little too harsh, but it, it kind of lands in a Simon's Quest Zelda Two kind of category Ooh. of tried some interesting things, and we have so much better stuff now that why would you ever go back to it? Yeah, I'm I'm slightly more I I'm giving this the the coveted nostalgia monocle where if you didn't play this game as a kid but you really enjoy early SNES era RPGs and you are awesome at suspending the lessons of the last 25 years and saying like, "Well, yeah, I don't expect them to do A B and C because this was, you know, the beginning. This was the foundation. They didn't know those things. We know those things now because of all the mistakes they made in this era. Like, if you didn't play this game, but you are able to approach old games with that kind of incredibly forgiving attitude, then, like, it is, it's it's pretty, and it has nice music, and they did some interesting things that you don't see in later games because they turned out to be terrible ideas. Um, and then there were other things that they refined, like, you know, the, the real world combat with like AI controlled party members, like that obviously is, has continued on. Um, but I, I can't, I can't say if you've never played this game and you're not in love with early nineties, super Nintendo JRPGs, like totally go check out secret of mana and, and neither of us have, well, you didn't play the remake. Did you? Okay, no. yeah. So not, neither of us have played the remake, but my understanding from all the reviews I read is like it has all of the same problems. Well, and I think it's even worse. Like it, it doesn't fix the old problems, but some of the new mechanics of the way they built the game engine make some things worse <laughs> or make things that weren't problems suddenly problems. Like you can face an attack in any direction now, and so can the enemies. And that proves to make it way worse on the combat. Ugh. 
yeah, see, that, missing that to me is so much far more, more egregious. Like it is way more <laughs> egregious for someone to say, "Oh, we're going to update this classic with all all the things we learned in the intervening two and a half decades." <laughs> Just kidding. Not only is it broken in all the same ways, but we broke it in new and novel ways. <laughs> Like, so there you go. If you've never played Secret of Mana and you want to check it off, just play the original, which is broken in predictable and forgivable ways. <laughs> yeah. One thing I can give this game is you fight Santa and Santa <laughs> became a monster because people Santa. stopped believing in him. <laughs> <laughs> that is maybe the weirdest design choice in the entire game and i cannot believe i spaced on that thank you for so much for reminding me that you have to beat santa into submission and he is then like people didn't believe in me and that's why i became the frost gigas and then it's never mentioned again <laughs> It, that doesn't become part of the game where other fairy tale creatures became monsters and you have to save them. Like this happens once in the middle of the game and it is never addressed again. Nothing else about the game is related to our real world. There's just <laughs> randomly Santa Claus. And Rudolph. And, and Rudolph who refers to Santa as master, which is alarming. Uh. I would have been devastated if we finish this episode without talking about santa claus <laughs> so thank you there you go the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll then it all fades to black and you're left by yourself the fanfare is gone there's no player two there by your side to share victories won but as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head. From the time that you spent traversing the land, battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand, your memories creep in with the end of a smile. Lost for a while You're gonna think back much less 